0: Hi, my name is Rich Johnson, and you are listening to The Slapcast.
1: Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to The Slapcast. I'm very excited for this month's episodes, as I have a special guest with me here. Our focus for December is awakening the best, and that goes for each of us personally helping others do the same, and even thinking of it as a community. To lead this conversation, we have the senior pastor of Sanctuary Church Columbus, Pastor Rich Johnson. Thank you so much for being with us, Rich. I'm so glad you're here.
0: Yes, and glad to be here in the studio. In the studio. (laughs)
1: Otherwise known as my dining room. So so as we get started here, what i really love for you to do is to kind of kick us off by telling us a little bit about Sanctuary Church, your role there. I know you're the senior pastor, but I want to hear maybe a little history lesson. How'd you get there? And uh, maybe give us a little foretaste of what makes Sanctuary so important, so special, and mm. where are you all headed in the next year or so?
0: Yes, yeah, senior pastor sounds uh, way more than... Uh, what it is. (laughs) Uh, I'm the only pastor, but (laughs) I am the founding pastor of the church. We started it in 2011, intentionally to be a multiracial, multiethnic congregation. And the reason for that is I have just been uh, moved by the life and teaching of Martin Luther King Jr., uh, who had a wonderful dream, as many can recall. Uh, in fact, when I was six years old, I wanted to be like Martin. I remember playing him in a school play and he went to Morehouse College, so I endeavored to go to Morehouse College too, which I did. It was the only college I applied to and I got nice. in, thanks be to God. Uh, but i never anticipated that my life would follow uh, a similar trajectory of ministry and racial reconciliation. Um, that didn't start to really take shape until Uh, 2003, when my wife and I were at a predominantly black church in Virginia, and I didn't think that uh, we should just have space for African-Americans to worship in one place. I thought, man, it'd be great if I could invite my white friends and my Latino friends to come and be here. Uh, And at the time, uh, the church was uh, uniquely focused on the African-American community and did not see itself as being a a place that would uh, be racially diverse. So in 2003, my wife and I packed up in Hampton, Virginia, moved to Columbus, Ohio to join a predominantly white church. (laughs) Um, Predominantly is putting it mildly. It was all white (laughs) uh, with the exception of my wife's parents, uh, which were the second reason that we moved here. So we moved here Uh to join this white church, basically learn how white people see God and they see God quite differently. Um, For example, I remember my first Sunday, uh, people asking me uh, if I was an evangelical Christian. scratch my head I don't what kind of christian is that and like I'm baptist you know right. they were like they were like no like do you follow martin luther I was like oh yeah martin luther the king you know what I'm right, right. They like they were like no, I don't think that's
1: what they were asking martin luther the
0: reformer <laughs> right. and I was like oh yeah I don't know about this evangelicalism uh which is really interesting because evangelical christianity is such a prominent uh, theme today, thinking politically and socially, uh, but when I hear evangelical, I hear white. Um, black churches have never been evangelical and have not been a part of that, mm. um, a part of that definition of what Christianity is or what it means. Um, so it was uh, eight years of being disoriented <laughs> uh, in this white church. I remember they told me that. Um, uh, they wanted me to lead worship because I was a worship leader at my church back in Virginia, and so I said, "Yeah, sure, I'll, I'll lead worship." I was all excited, and they said, "All right, here's 20 songs to pick from." <laughs> I was like, "Oh, okay." I didn't know any of them.
1: What a wide, what a wide variety! <laughs> oh yeah, yes,
0: yes. You know, I went to um, I went to Target or something and got Wow Worship. 2003. (laughs) (laughs) Open the eyes of my heart, Lord.
1: (laughs) What was your favorite song from the top 20 you were given? Well, no, the only 20 you were given.
0: Uh, How Great is Our God, you know. All um, right, let me hear it. It was there. So, yeah. How Great is Our God. Sing with me how great great is our God. Nice, nice. So I did all of those runs and everything. (laughs) And at the end, you know, I thought I killed it, you know, come off the stage. And this is kind of church that would critique everything. Uh, and they said, "Yo, could you tone it down next time?" <laughs> could you
1: dial it back? <laughs>
0: yeah. And one and and the re- the thing they said that was really really hurtful was uh, it it seemed like it wasn't real, like it was kind of showy. Ooh. And it was like, hmm. No, actually, that was toned down. Thank you very much. And it was very real. <laughs> I felt
1: every moment of that. But um,
0: yeah. and I didn't lead worship for five years uh, after that. Huh. So it was. Uh, it was, it was a challenging eight years, but um, after eight years, uh, my wife and I uh, started uh, Sanctuary Columbus Church 2011 to be intentionally multiracial uh, as, an, as an answer and response to the racial injustice that we saw in the church. Um, MLK is one of the folks who's quoted as saying that Sunday morning at 11 o'clock is the most segregated hour of the week, speaking specifically about the church and in Columbus, Ohio, there's about 1200 churches and fewer than 3% of them are multiracial. Wow! So on a national average of evangelical churches, yes, um, (laughs) about 13% of them are multiracial. And that's based off of a study at Duke University. Baylor University also did a similar study. Um, So Columbus is way behind um, on the conversation of uh, multiracial, racial reconciliation, Church community leadership, etc.
1: We we didn't say we were going to talk about this, but I want to ask this question because I think it's fascinating. What are some of the racial injustices that happen in churches that might surprise people? That mm. people may not readily identify and see that as an injustice. Can you think of a couple to share?
0: Oh, I mean, I'm like sure just, you that, bunch, just but- that one, like of leading worship. You know, it's um, it, it culturally differences are valued as inferior or superior. And so my expression of worship at that time was viewed as inferior to the expression of worship of others. It was devalued. And so somebody wouldn't say, well, that was was an injustice. It's like, no, actually it was an injustice because you devalued me as a person made in the image of God in the uniqueness in the way in which God leads me to worship God. Right? Like, no one would say to, um, not no one would, but I I wouldn't say to a person who is not expressive, oh, you're, you got to do better than that. Like, you're not, you got to measure up, you know? It's like, ah, man, like, change the way, come on. It's like, no, we wouldn't do that because you have unique ways in which you connect with, um, you connect with God. I mean, so that was, that was one that was really harmful. So, if we don't understand that we do have a unique way in which we've been shaped and formed, and we connect with God, um, then we will ultimately devalue one another. And the same thing theologically as well. You know, um, my Martin Luther wasn't valued as high as Martin Luther the reformer, reformer yeah. right? And it's like, when? How do you? And, or even what people say is like, well, yeah, you know, Martin Luther King, um, didn't he have some extramarital affairs? And so they would, I'm like, oh, yeah. And then it wasn't until later I discovered like, oh, Martin Luther, the reformer, was abusive towards his wife. Like, no one points that out.
1: Well, we don't need to talk about that one. No, please. <laughs>
0: <Right>? <laughs> please.
1: That's different. That's different. I, for those of you listening, I'm, that's, I don't mean that. <laughs> it's not. I'm being facetious. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's a great example. Those are great examples, thank you. Um, So as I mentioned, we wanna talk about awakening the best in people. Mm. And this is sort of, not sort of, this is kind of our thing at Relay. We talk about this through our leadership programs. And so we don't necessarily have to talk about leadership per se. Um, I'm really interested to kind of kick things off with this topic. What comes up for you just when you hear that phrase, awaken the best in people? What what does that bring up for you?
0: Words like journey, uh, change, uh, curiosity. Uh, Those are words that come to mind when I hear the phrase awaken the best in people, that it is about revealing the hidden self that is covered up um, by a false identity or an imposter syndrome, uh, a thinning of the soul. Um, The awakening is is a partnership. And sometimes it is self-induced. Most of the time, though, it is externally motivated. That awakening happens without our initiation. Somebody else initiates that, you know, awakening um, in us. And all of that sounds kind of painful, which it is.
1: (laughs) I've I've said pain is the... It's it sucks, but it's one of the most effective teachers. (laughs) Yes, yes,
0: it is painful to be awakened. You know, I have four children, and my second, who's fourteen, has the toughest time awakening from his slumber. Yeah, right. He just you knock on the door, you set an alarm, you shake him, and it still takes him fifteen minutes to get out of the bed. You know, Um, this is like, man, he's he's enjoying his slumber, like, and it's it's. It's nice to just be asleep and not awakened to harsh realities, um, you know, flaws in our character. Um, responsibility. Responsibility, yeah. <laughs> the way our words impact and affect others, that's hard. And so a lot of people would prefer to just stay asleep. I don't, don't wake me up, please. I'm comfortable right where I, where I am.
1: <laughs> what are, as people wake up, and kind of face these some somewhat harsh realities, some more harsh than others. If you've talked to people who are kind of on the other side of that, I think in a way, I love the word journey because I think we are constantly awakening. Mm-hmm. There's something new to learn. There's something new to awaken to, something new to realize. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll get to this later. I'm sure I, I think for many people, not enough, but many people have been going through an awakening this year with the racial revolution that's been going on that um, a lot of people, including myself realize, for example, impact of words. That's a great example of um understanding that my intention is that's nice, but I no longer prioritize my intention over my impact. I take responsibility for the impact of my words regardless of what my intention was. Mm-hmm. And that's been that was a real awakening for me and it was another level of responsibility for me. Mm-hmm. When that happens with people, do you find, just in your own experience, that once they're on the other side of one of those awakenings, do they then see the benefit? Do they Are they thankful for it? Are they grateful for it? Is it is it still an overall positive experience?
0: I have uh, yet to wake my son up from his slumber, and he said, Thank you, Dad. <laughs> Okay? <laughs> Dad, thank you so more. much. Oh, <laughs> yes. Can you please wake me up again tomorrow? No, no. I, I you know, I... I don't, I think in my own life when somebody brings some uh, awakening to me and my initial response is not always the best one. I get defensive. I try to explain why I did something or what was happening that day that caused me to react or respond um, in such a way. Uh, Certainly, as I've matured, I want to listen with the intent to hear right? Um, uh, The Hebrew word here means listen and obey. There's not a difference between those two words, the Shema. And so every time you hear the word here um, in the Old Testament and in the Gospels, it means obey. Like You're not just listening so that you can continue doing what you want to do. You you listen with the intent to follow through um, on it. Uh, And I think that's a sign of maturity, right? And understanding that there is a better self to be revealed, and that our, our best self um, is hidden, and it's hidden underneath a false identity that needs to be chipped away.
1: Yeah. So you mentioned that oftentimes that awakening happens from outside of ourselves. Oftentimes, I don't know if this is your exact word, so I don't want to put words in your mouth, um, uh, catalyzed or influenced by another person. hmm how is that, how's being involved in, in awakening, if you're the outside influence, right? How's that different from just telling someone? Mm. How's it different for you and, and maybe what the other person might experience?
0: Yeah. Well, I think, you know, thinking about A lot of the folks who are listening to this uh, podcast are leaders. They're in a position where they are helping to shape culture, um, set policy, create um, change. And a lot of that change doesn't happen with just information. You know, we don't change just because you got the email. Um, I I told you the five points, and so now go change. Uh, Change has to be at the moment that the person is ready. And, and and willing, right, to change. And so it's a slower process, I think, to awaken somebody, but it's also an individual process. So I've learned now to awaken that second son differently than I awaken my oldest son, and my um, third son, and my, fourth child, you know, who is, a, who is a girl, who is the very sweetest waker-upper, you know. Really? Yeah, oh, yeah. You can just go our and, just, girls were not. and just snuggle with her, <laughs> and then she'll just Aww. wake up. Oh, hey, Dad. You know, it's like, oh, that's so sweet. So as a leader, and I'm awakening people, I have to understand that we have differences and that we come, we come to our awakeness differently. So some I'm going to be patient and uh, gentle, others I'm going to be a little more prodding and uh, direct uh, because it's, it's the way in which we, we receive information.
1: Something you said earlier about the meaning of, was it listen, which is to, or to hear, which is to listen and obey. Mm-hmm. Did I get that right? Yep. Something that came up for me when you said that was, I immediately related that to believing someone's experience And why that's important to me is it doesn't have to do with the, it doesn't have anything to do with whether or not the experience is factual. Mm -hmm. Because we get stuck in the facts. We're like, you know, you tell me something, you know, Shannon, when you said this, it hurt my feelings. And then I say, well, that's not what happened. This is what happened. Therefore, your feelings shouldn't be hurt. Right. So I'm now invalidating your feelings. And I'm using something obtuse and silly to make a point, but... But what I hear in that is to listen and obey it, to me, somehow I'm connecting it to believing someone's experience regardless of what the facts tell you Mm -hmm. about what transpired. Mm -hmm. How do you, what are your reactions to that? I'm just curious. I don't know, I'm not saying I'm right. I'm just saying this is what started coming up for me and how important it is to believe someone else's experience when they come to you with, this is what this means to me. This is how this makes me feel. This is my experience with what you just did or how you're acting. What are your thoughts on
0: that? Yeah, you, uh, I think you articulated really well. Um, when we're sharing experiences with one another, our own uh, social location uh, has a lot to say with how we perceive that event or that experience. I'm a male. I'm African-American. You are a female. Um, you look to be white. <laughs> uh, I am. Thank you. I'm nine percent
1: Italian according to twenty three and me.
0: Oh which is also shameless white. Plug. It's also white. But <laughs> oh, some I'm interesting, proud of that
1: nine percent though.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> <very. laughs> um, so your social location, my social location, they're different from one another. And so you see things differently than I do. If you give me a perception of something as a, as a woman, I can't say, oh, well, you just, you, you just got to see it from a different perspective. It's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I've totally invalidated what you said. And actually, you are trying to awaken me to another perspective. And I'm just being stubborn and refusing to be awakened to that in this very largely patriarchal society in which we live in particularly here in America, we don't listen well. And so that listening has a lot to do with embracing and um, practicing humility and staying curious. Like, oh, tell me more is a phrase that I've learned to embrace when my wife and I are in uh, interesting conversation and dialogue. Uh, tell me, you know, honey, can you, and not just to be patronizing, but no, really, can, can you tell me some more? Um, I would like to know how that affected you. Um, so
1: that remind, reminds me of one time when Chris and I were talking with a therapist. Um, I believe in marriage therapy, uh, whether or not you're in crisis and it's especially beautiful when you're not in crisis because mm. you can take a wonderful thing and then you can build upon it. And this mm. was one of those moments mm. and every session, you know, we get to bring up something and we practice a certain way of communicating with this therapist. And it's really cool. And Chris brought something up, and I immediately said, "Yeah, but da da da." And the therapist goes, "Go to curious."
0: <laughs> mm. Go to curious. Because
1: my I I think like I react, you know, I'm like ready, shoot, aim, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And as soon as she said, "Go to curious," it was a great reminder of what you're saying mm-hmm. to, um, which helps me to listen and learn from what someone else is saying, specifically my spouse. Um, right. Versus to defend, which is where I went. And going to Curious, um, as the therapist says, is super mm-hmm. helpful. Mm-hmm.
0: So. Go to Curious. I, I, like, I like that. that. It's,
1: it's a good, quick reminder. Go to Curious. Go to Curious. In fact, if I'm talking to someone and I'm having a challenge with what they're saying, especially if we have opposing views on something like politics or social issues or racial issues, even then, reminding myself to go to Curious. And sometimes mm-hmm. I'll say tell me more about that.
0: Tell me more. <laughs> I
1: actually learned that from Rhonda, who you know on, okay, our, on our board. Okay. She said, just say, tell me more about that. I'm like, even more. when they're being like this, tell me more about that. I'm like, tell okay, but what if I don't want to hear more? Tell me more <laughs> about that. Tell me more about that. You learn a lot about, a lot about other people, uh, and, and eventually you get to some things that give you a little bit of empathy for right. other people. So right. anyway, I just right. wanted to... I just.
0: And I when they tell you more, you also get uh, a window... Into their past, into their history, uh, which helped to form them and their belief in that current moment. Like, okay, yes, the, you had this perspective because you grew up in this home environment, or you know, you were rejected ninety times for your <laughs> you know job promotion. You know what Like, oh, that's giving me some context now to understand you a little better. Now, how do we grow from there? So the 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 awareness is. Is self-reflective, you know, individuals revealing themselves, and it's also cross-reflective. So now I'm examining you, and now we are called to grow together. So you reflect on yourself, I'm reflecting on you, I'm also doing self-reflection on mine as well, and now we're growing together so that we can become awakened to our better self.
1: I love that. Something that I've tried recently, and you have to be careful because you don't want it to turn into patronizing, but I really believe that a lot of us... Not every hang up we have or every kind of irrational reaction we have is due to this, but a lot of it's just because of the parenting that we experienced. I mean, none of us had a perfect childhood. Some of us had nope. much worse childhoods than others. Mm-hmm. And a lot of what happens to me in my adult life is just me needing to reparent myself mm. So I, when I view it that way. But if that's true for me, it might be true for other people. And so when I'm having a really difficult time with someone, what's helping me lately is to think of them not as I'm the parent and they're the child, but rather I wonder what reparenting they're in need of and Mm. how I can be as kind to them right now as I would a child who is struggling with something similar, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. Mm -hmm. It helps me to kind of soften the edges a little bit, slow Mm. down before I send that email, make the response to, you know, those that are closest to you, like our spouses or, or our kids or other family members, it helps me to then not live in the regret of something I wish I wouldn't have said. It doesn't mm. matter how true I think that is or how right I think I am, I always regret when I speak harshly to others. And for some reason, just remembering that we're all just reparenting ourselves, Right. It, I don't know why. That's just really helpful.
0: Right. Yeah. I think that's helpful. Um, as a pastor, I'm trying to be an older brother um, mm. or a sibling and... Bringing people to the Father, um, you know, to God, Um, and so I'm right there with them. Like, hey, I'm a child too. I'm growing in into uh, the image of God, just like you are. Um, So let's go to the Father together and see what the Father might have to say, you know, to us. I try to do that with my children as well. I want my children to understand that where they are now, they can grow from where they are. And I think as a as a parent. I don't always put those practices into in the place in my workplace or even Mm. as a pastor or with my staff. But man, I I feel like sometimes I have just this immeasurable grace and unconditional love for my kids that I don't have for my (laughs) staff or for other people in my church. I'm like, man, what is that? What is that all about? It can be transferred over. I can have that grace. I can have that experience with them and permission for them to fail and not feel like it's... Well, some parents do feel like they're... Their children's failures are their
1: failures, but
0: yeah. um, I try not to. That's your failure. You that's failed right. on that. I definitely is I, on you because if it was me, I would have succeeded. I you know,
1: I would have rocked that. Just would, to hello, clear. hello. How did you miss
0: that shot? I would, <laughs> What in the world? No, just kidding. Just kidding, sons.
1: Yeah. No, um, thank you for that. Um, so let's. I want to hit the pause button because I want to talk about the community, but I'm really curious about. What you think about awakening spiritually or otherwise? Do we ha- it is every awakening a spiritual thing, whether we know it or not? Do you believe everyone's on a spiritual journey, whether or not they know they're on a spiritual journey? Yes. What are your thoughts on that? I
0: think everyone is on a spiritual journey.
1: I, I do too. I, I do think, think <laughs> this is so fascinating. <laughs> you know,
0: when people say <laughs> that you know they don't believe in God, I, res- I respect that. Um, I just think we are all on a spiritual journey. We are spiritual beings, that's who we are. Um, We're interconnected with uh, the humanity we share with somebody right across the table, with somebody we know, as well as the stranger at the grocery store and the person who's on the other side of the globe. Uh, there's all this interconnectedness, not just between people, but within nature um, and things that we create. We're all connected to it, and so it's all spiritual. It's not like it's not a separation for me between something that is spiritual and not spiritual, secular or sacred. It's all sacred. It's all, all spiritual. Sacred. Yeah.
1: All sacred, all spiritual. I'm right there with you. Mm-hmm. I love that. I used to not think that way. Though.
0: How did you get there?
1: An awakening <laughs> Just, <laughs> it was very gradual mm-hmm. as, as you described an awakening but I think um, part of what led me there was I got tired of what that separation created in people I feel like it created more division and limited uh, people's perceived self-perception of, of what they could do and I'll give you an example when someone says well I feel like in order for me to be in ministry or to make a difference, I have to go to seminary. Mm-hmm. Or in order to make an impact on the community, I have to go work for a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. Or, and and there's, there's almost this assumption or maybe unconscious belief that in order to do good, um, and specifically in... And I did grow up in an evangelical uh, environment. There was this pervasive attitude that those that worked at the church who were preaching and the like, they were in ministry and that was spiritual, but if I had a job at a daycare or at McDonald's, that I was in a secular job. Right. And I took this course, something very specific happened that helped begin this shift. I took this course that a friend of mine created, uh, first within and then outside of Ashland Seminary here in Ohio. And it was called Kingdom Work. And the whole concept behind this was viewing all work as sacred, mm-hmm. whether you're a bank teller, you work from home, you're a stay-at-home parent, mm-hmm. you are, you know, an analyst at a medical company... Hashtag Jonathan. Um, <laughs> whether and if you're a pastor, if you are a nonprofit director, all of those things, all of that can be quote unquote ministry, right? Um, because it's all because we are all interconnected. Mm-hmm. It's all a part. It, all of it is sacred. And to me, that was a much more exciting prospect. Mm-hmm. Now, someone who is working as, let's say, a bank teller, and I only say that because it sounds. Boring to someone like me, but to other people it might be like the bee's knees. But, um, but something that might just seem like a mundane job to some people, that they can find many ways a higher purpose, and knowing that even in doing that, that they're accomplishing something that is truly sacred. That all work is sacred, right? And that you know, if I and I and we don't normally get into necessarily religion or anything on on the Slabcast, but I do think this is important that that biblically that work is something that has happened from the very beginning of the story. That's right. And that work is something that is directly tied to our identity Mm -hmm. and um, our ability. And I think it's because work is, is connected to our ability to create. That's right. And if, if, if you believe that you come from a creator, one of the highest things you can connect with is the ability to create something else. So to help people in this kingdom work, we, we learned that in order for work to become sacred, we have to think of our work as what am I creating today, either sure. for m- my employer, for other people? Am I creating a customer service experience? Am I creating a more efficient process? Am I creating a new counseling program from, for the people who come to my church or et cetera? That, that creation process, really all work can be creative Mm -hmm. and it just it started to shift the way i thought thought about sacred and secular so i thought if all work can be sacred then can't all of life be sacred Mm -hmm. and so it just kind of grew from there
0: yeah that's beautiful
1: yeah that
0: means also that all work can be creative yes like creatives are not just the artsy people even that mundane bank teller job can be creative I agree. in the way that they do their work um, i love the word uh, recreation it's you know we use it as like a, a to mean play or exercise but if you break it down it's recreate what are yeah. you doing you are recreating uh, something new, which ch- actually happens in your body when you're exercising, you are creating new um, life-giving cells throughout your body, new oxygen oh, pathways, and, and so forth. So
1: I just started exercising again. Hello. Okay. I did, and I'm enjoying it. I got a bike to ride at home. All right. And you got
0: one in Peloton, I, pe-
1: I got a Peloton. Okay, I did okay. All right. And um, I, I'm, I'm literally on day five or something like that, and I never thought about recreate, and that is what happens at the cellular level when you exercise. That mm-hmm. just, boom, my hands on the side of my head right now, folks.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's a perfect example of awakening. Yeah. All right. That's it for this episode, rich. Thank you so much for being here. I can't wait for folks to hear the rest. Be sure to come back in two weeks to hear the second half of Awaken the Best with Pastor Rich Johnson of Sanctuary Church. If you want to connect with me, just shoot me an email at slapcast at relayleadership.org. I'd love to connect with you. And as always, you can find us on all the socials at at relayleadership. That's R-E-L-A, leadership. Visit us online at relayleadership.com. Until next time.